Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so what we're posting today is the sermon from the morning worship service at Christ Church Conway on John chapter 1, verse 14. I invite you to turn with me now to the Gospel of John. In the, in the sermon notes up here on the screen, it says that we're going to look at John 1, 1 through 18. Uh, as I studied this week to prepare the sermon, uh, it got shorter and shorter. Uh, so we were going to look at John, but, but I had to send all of this to Sabrina two weeks ago because they've been out of town for Christmas. So then it was going to be John 1, 14 through 18. Then it was going to be John 1, 14. And now it's going to be the first clause of John 1.14. That's all we're looking at this morning. And so that's all I'm going to read this morning is John 1.14a. This is what it says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, that we read here became flesh and dwelt among us. We ask that you would give your spirit, that I may speak in his power, that we all may be strengthened by him to hear your word, that we might be strengthened in our faith even this morning. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as we look at the world, as we look at everything around us, a common question that, that, that's asked, and it's not new, right? It's not just a question for 2020, is how does all of this get fixed? It's so just shockingly easy to recognize how completely undone everything is. 2020 has just been like a highlighter, just Let's give a pandemic. Let's have the most contentious election that we remember. Let's do this. I mean, it's just been like, whoosh. It's all broken. Here's some protests. Here's some counter-protests. Here's some huge global forest fire. I mean, it's just like, what in the world is happening? And how does it get fixed? But the reality is, as we know, even though 2020 felt utterly unique it really wasn't it really when we look at it against kind of the rest of human history it was kind of typical pandemics have happened before wars protests violence that's nothing new people being upset with political situations and and attacking each other for it that's not new but it's also not been able to be fixed. Now, I mean, goodness knows, we've tried absolutely everything, haven't we? We've tried war. Maybe that will fix some things. We've tried pursuit of self. I mean, we've tried everything. I mean, right now it seems like what we're all trying, it's like, well, maybe if we just all get mad enough, maybe that'll do something. And here, when I say we, I'm not talking about the world at large. I'm talking about the church. We've done all these things and are doing these things. We can't figure out what's going to fix it. And we just desperately run around 
trying this, trying that. Maybe if we can undo this election and maybe if we, I mean, it's just ridiculous the stuff that we're trying to try to get the world to work in a way that is comfortable for us. And that's really what we're doing. John 1.14, this first verse is the answer to all of it. And it's no naive answer. I get it. You get on Facebook and you see the people that, that, that are just like cynical to the core and they, oh, we'll believe in Jesus. That's going to fix it. How cute, right? No, this is no cynical answer to the problems we face. Not to a single one of them. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how it gets fixed. That's how it is getting fixed. When we start pulling this verse apart, or really just this clause apart, we we realize, and, and we know this, we've been told this, we realize that this isn't just kind of some, you know, Christian philosophical mumbo jumbo, but that this is all of the theology of the Bible exploding out onto the page in these few words right here. The the word that's being talked about, if, if we go back to the beginning of John, we read this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do we see what's happening here when we get down to 114 and we read that the word became flesh? What we're reading is nothing other than God himself became, didn't take on, became Flesh became man. That's what we're talking about happening here. A a, a real deal incarnation of the divine in human form. I mean, this is is the hope of every religion that that, that God would actually come near to his people and, and do something and deliver us, right? This is the exact story of Christianity. This is what actually happened. That God himself became flesh. He he became one of us like we saw last week from Luke's gospel. Just like us. Fully human like us. Without sin. Sin, by the way, isn't basic to the definition of what it is to be man. It's the reality we all live with in this fallen world. But it's not basic to what it means to be man. So Jesus really was like us. We saw this last week. He was a baby. He cried. He grew. He gained wisdom and knowledge. All of those things that that we have to deal with, he he did. And because he was like us, as we saw last week, he could be for us. Here, what we're reminded of in John 1.14 is the one who became like us is the same one who spoke creation into existence. The one who existed before everything. He, God Almighty, Holy, 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 the sovereign of all creation, King of kings, Lord of lords, 
the only true and living God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who spoke from Mount Sinai, the God who delivered his people, God, Yahweh, became man. That's the Christmas story. Here's why this is significant. It says that he became flesh. We saw the significance of that last week. He was like us, therefore he could be for us. But then it says he dwelt among us. And here's where the whole Bible story comes to a head in those few words. See, the, the, the Greek verb that's used here for dwelt among us is skeneo. I get it. That doesn't mean anything probably to any of y'all. But skeneo is the word for tabernacled or tented among us. It's the word that the Septuagint uses in its verbal and nominal forms to talk about the tabernacle, kids. This tent that's on your sheet. This is the skene, the tabernacle. And so what we're being told here is that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. We're being told here in what would have been for them very clear terms, but is clouded for us because we use the word dwelt there instead of tabernacled because tabernacled would just sound funny and you wouldn't sell a whole lot of Bibles that said he tabernacled among us because that's a funny word to put there. And so we miss the richness of what's going on here. He came... And he did among us what God did among his people in the tabernacle. Here's what it's all about. He was present with us. See, the presence of God is one of the key themes throughout the entire Bible. Think about it. Go back to Genesis 1. And and what's the glory of the garden? It's that they walked with God in the cool of the day. That, that's the real, it's not that the tree of life was there. I mean, that's pretty cool. But it's the presence of God. They were with God. Think about that. He's walking and you hear your name called and it's God calling out to you. Hey, Adam, what's going on? He was present with his people. But we know how that story ends, right? Because of their sin, they're removed from the garden. They're removed from the place of God's presence. Because as sinners, they can't dwell there any longer lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. And so we've got this period where, where, where there's just kind of all these different things happening and, and you've got all the, the, the primordial history and, and all this ancient history leading up to Abraham and Abraham is called out of the Ur of the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans and then the, the people of God are established and then you get to Moses and the presence of God shows up again and leads his people out of Egypt and then comes to settle there in the tabernacle. Build this tent, he tells them. And my glory will dwell there. Shekinah, by the way, is is another cognate of this tabernacling language. My glory will tabernacle in the midst of my people. And and all the people are, 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 are arranged around the tabernacle so that their life, everything about their life, right at the center of Israel is Yahweh. His 
sanctifying presence right there. Eventually they build a temple and God's presence dwells in that temple. And it's there in Jerusalem in the heart of Israel and and all of of Israel's life is, is fixed around the temple and going and worshiping and making sacrifices and doing all the things. But then that story doesn't end well either, does it? They sin and they're exiled once again. The presence of God is gone and separation rules. And they're in exile. They come back by God's decree. They come back. They build the temple again. But here's what we never read about this second temple. And the glory of God rested on the temple. Never. The presence of God doesn't show back up. Think about that. Why was it such a letdown in Ezra? Why were the old guys crying? Why does God through Haggai say, keep going, I'm going to do something. It's coming. Because that wasn't the answer. Were they supposed to build a new temple? Yeah, God told them to. But that wouldn't be the place of his presence any longer. Never think about that. His presence never filled the temple again after it left. And in light of all of that biblical history, we come to John 1.14. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Do you, see, do you see what's happening there? God's presence is arriving for the people of God once again. They hadn't just been waiting for the intertestamental period to be over. It wasn't just the time of silence that was being answered here. That was being answered. There was no prophet in the land, right? We know about those things and where there's no prophet, the people perish and all those things. Where There's no vision, the people perish. And so we come up with all kinds of fancy church visions as if it has anything to do with that verse. That was part of it. The word of God became flesh. There's, in the beginning was the word. So, so John's answering all of these Old Testament realities. You haven't had a word for a while. Here's the word. You haven't had the presence of God for even longer. Here's the presence of God with us. His name is Jesus. And he was born a child. And as we know the story, he died a man in the place of his people. See, these few words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, are giving the answer to the entire story of Scripture. Why does that matter? Well, if we go back through a few verses here, we begin to see why the presence of God in our lives, why the presence of God with his people is so vital. It's a common theme. It's a common promise throughout Scripture that that he will be present with his people. And it's always got these different effects. We read in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12, I will make my dwelling, same words here, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. 
See, that's the issue, right? If, if we come near God, one of two things happens. Either we are stricken because of our sin. We are done. Judgment immediately. Moses couldn't see his glory. Or mercy upon mercy. And we're justified because of something he's done. Because of his grace. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. It won't despise you. It won't be angry with you anymore. It won't be a presence of judgment. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. It's an Edenic presence. It's a garden presence walking among us, him being ours, us being his. But it's not just there that we read such things. If we turn to the book of Ezekiel and we go to Ezekiel chapter 37, you know, the one about the valley of dry bones that we love that story. He sees this valley and they're full of bones and they're very dry. And God says, prophesy, and, or can these bones live? And he's like, I don't know, you know. And he's like, well, prophesy and tell. And the bones get up and then flesh comes on them and then the breath of life is breathed into them and life is given. God's like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how that story ends. In verse thir- chapter 37, beginning in verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. See, the presence of God is a sanctifying presence. That's the glory of it. It does something to the people of God. It does something to us for the Spirit of Christ to be present with us, for Christ to be present with us. We turn over just a few pages to Ezekiel 43. And and this is in the middle of this long section where, where Ezekiel is seeing this vision of the temple to come. And beginning in verse 6, we read this. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by their dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them. Do you see what's happening again? I'm going to dwell with you. My presence is going to be with you and it's going to sanctify you and it's going to undo all of the idolatry. It's going to undo all of the things that you set up next to me and put your hope in and find your security in and find your identity in. My presence is going to undo all of that. His presence sanctifies his people. It undoes all of the things that we take comfort in. 
Perhaps this is why, if we're honest, we really only want to get so close. Because we know if we get too close, if we get too close, our idols are going to start falling. Our worldly comforts, the things that we find pleasure in, the things that we look to for what Christ provides, they're going to be undone. And and not casually, but gloriously undone. We keep reading. We get to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And we find this incredible verse. To them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, that's what this is all about, the presence of Christ. But now what we see is that that presence isn't just in his people generally as the tabernacle was, but in us specifically by his spirit. And so we have hope. We keep going right to the end of the story, Revelation chapter 21. And we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacling place, same word. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Again, the presence of God with his people is the hope of his people. But notice what it says next. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How does it all get fixed? What's the answer to all the brokenness of this world? It's the sanctifying presence of Christ. That's why John 1.14, even just those first few words of it, that's why we can say right there, we see the unpacking of all of the promises of Scripture. Because the presence of God was returning to His people. He was doing something for His people that had long been promised. This sanctifying presence of God. This delivering presence of God. This redeeming presence of God. This grace-giving, mercy-extending, love-exalting presence of God was returning to His people in the person of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. That's what Christmas is about. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we revel in. That's what we glory in. That's what we hope in in the Christmas season and every season afterwards. How does all of this get fixed? Only 
by the presence of Jesus Christ. Only by the presence of Christ. We would do so very well to remember that. As I said, we've tried all sorts of things and continue to try all sorts of things. Morality, theology, politics, ideologies, all kinds of stuff. They'll never work. They're, they're, they're empty. They're void of any hope whatsoever. They can't offer anything to us. And I'm not being hyperbolic here to make some sermonic point. They are void of power. They're only used by God for His purposes to bring about this end, which is the presence of Christ, the sanctifying presence of Christ. Why was Pilate in place? Why was Herod in place? Why was Nebuchadnezzar in place? Only, ultimately, to bring about the sanctifying presence of Christ because that's how God wanted to do it. They weren't the hope. They were the plan to bring the hope. This is exactly why we don't have to fret over the political realm. This is why we don't have to fret over the pandemic. This is why we don't have to fret over any of this stuff. Oh, I get it. Some of you, are, are, are your wheels are spinning. You're going, oh, well, well, that's real nice for you to say with your health and you're being untouched by this and being untouched by that and, and not having to worry and not being real politically involved and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. We don't have to fret about it. You don't either. I know what you're facing. I know it. I'm facing it too. We don't have to fret because it's all to bring about the presence of Christ who is the solution. He's how it gets fixed. And we would do good as his people to remember that. To remember that it doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter whether a vaccine works. It doesn't matter. All that matters is the presence of Christ. I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being naive. I'm proclaiming what the Bible tells us. How will there be, how will there be no more sickness or death? How, how will there be no more war? How will there be no more pain? How will our tears get dried? How will our bodies be restored? The presence of Christ and nothing else. That's not naivete. 
That, that's not ignore life and ignore people's suffering and, and just walk through life because Jesus is going to make it okay. No, 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 no. Don't pigeonhole the reality of the gospel message into such weak foolishness. Don't do it. It's not good for you. It's not good for anybody. Because this reality, that it all comes to fulfillment in Christ, that, that his presence is how it all gets fixed, utterly transforms how we live right now as well. It changes everything. Because it reminds me that it's not by my preserving my life that anything in my life is going to get fixed, but by the presence of Christ. And so here's what that does for us as far as how we live now. It, it separates us from trying to preserve this brokenness. It gives us a freedom because we now see he's the one that makes it right. I can follow him. I can find refuge in him. I can serve him as the true king of kings, the true Lord of lords, the king of all creation. I can serve him. Him, I no longer have to serve me. I don't have to preserve me. I don't have to protect me. I don't have to care for me. I have one who does that for me. And here's what that does. It frees me to lay my life down for everyone around me. Because I have been freed from the oppression of thinking that I'm the one who brings the kingdom in any way whatsoever. I've been freed from the oppression of thinking that I'm the one that fixes it in any way whatsoever. I've been freed from the tyranny of mattering because it's not my presence that's needed. It's the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's been given. And so I can lay my life down to serve those around me. I can get over myself. I can give up my freedoms to care for the people around me. To bring the presence of Christ through that, to them by serving them in the love of Christ and proclaiming to them not some weak morality, but that God has made himself present through his Savior. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word for the fulfillment of all your promises, for the hope of the gospel, for the glorious truth that with the presence of Christ comes the fix. We repent of our refusal to accept that and ask that by your spirit you would work faith in us. In Christ's most precious name, amen.